0: Our scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel of John, the 5th chapter beginning at verse 16 and reading through verse 23. John chapter 5, page 1226. Page 1226 in the Pew Bible, John 5 verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Thus far the reading of God's Word, may He add His blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, we began to look at chapter 5 last week, and I noted that in chapters 5 through 7, we see a dramatic change in the Jewish leadership concerning Jesus. Previously, they had been interested, curious, somewhat apprehensive, but now their apprehension turns to outright opposition, This opposition was hinted at in the very first chapter when John tells us he came to his own, but his own received him not. But now we see them uh, determining that Jesus ought to die. And we saw last week that it was uh, in part because he healed on the Sabbath day. Sabbath breaking is a capital offense in Jewish law, Mosaic law. And in, by their definition, Jesus had broken the Sabbath, although Jesus assured them that he had not broken the Sabbath, that he's, his work and his father's work is uh, appropriate Sabbath work. In fact, uh, it's their work now is to fulfill the Sabbath, to make the Sabbath uh, a blessing for you and for me. At creation, God rested from His work of creation and entered into an eternal rest, which means internal enjoyment. And God's purpose for us is that we join Him in that rest, and the work of redemption enables us to join with God in that eternal Sabbath rest. The idea of Sabbath has not yet been fulfilled because we have not yet entered into our Sabbath rest, For example, the Old Testament sacrificial system has been fulfilled, so we don't practice that Old Testament sacrificial system anymore. It's been fulfilled in Christ. But the idea of Sabbath has not yet been fulfilled, and so it's still appropriate that we observe one day in seven as a day of rest from our ordinary labors to remember that Christ is working right now to get us into God's eternal Sabbath rest. There yet remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and the work of redemption is a very appropriate uh, work in God's rest to enable us to adjoin Him in that rest. But now, in uh, explaining that, Jesus used an expression that caused greater offense to the Jews. He said, my Father is working, and He used that expression my Father, and so we want to look at that today, and what that means, how they understood it, and and what it means for us. Uh, Jesus said, "My Father is working, and uh, until now, and I have been working." And uh, they said they sought to kill him all the more because he was uh, making God his Father. By making God his Father, he was making himself equal with God. Why did they react that way to that expression, my father? Certainly they were familiar with the idea of the fatherhood of God. Psalm 103, for example, I think you probably, most of you know that fairly well. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The idea of the fatherhood of God was well known to the Jewish peoples. Psalm 68 God is a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows. Uh, The idea of God being a father, especially to those who are in need, again, is well known in Scripture. And the Jews were not adverse to saying, God is our father. Uh, They uh, would use the plural uh, pronoun there, our, to say, God is our father. But to say, God is my Father, in their ears implied uh, a a close relationship that, that was not appropriate for a Jew to say. Now, there were some prophets and psalmists who spoke of God as my Father, but still the Jews were reluctant to adopt that language. The Old Testament Scripture authors also used God's name, But the Jews would never pronounce God's name. The third commandment says, don't profane God's name. And they thought, well, if I never say God's name, then I'll uh, I'll never profane his name. That uh, was a misunderstanding of the third commandment. But nevertheless, they didn't always say what the scripture authors said. And so even though there was a psalmist and a prophet who said, God is my father, uh, they would never say that because in their minds that implied too much. It's something like uh, saying, I don't know if people say it anymore, but when I was young, uh, people used to say that uh, George Washington is the father of our nation, but nobody would say George Washington is my father. Uh, That would imply that. Martha Washington was your mother, and that's implying too close a relationship that just isn't appropriate for us to say. We could say he's our father in a sort of a general way, and that's the way the Jews spoke about God, but they, they would never say, God is my father. That implied you were right next to God and, and really close to him, almost making yourself equal to God, and that's, that's how they understood Jesus, as saying, I'm equal to God the Father, I'm, I'm also a God. And uh, the Jews were convinced, and rightly so, that there's only one God. And they were interpreting Jesus as saying, no, there's two gods. There's God the Father and there's me. And, and so there's two gods. And they said, well, that can't be. You're, you're a blasphemer. You're, you're committing blasphemy. And that, too, is a capital offense. Well, uh, to Teach us and to teach his disciples that Jesus is not saying, I'm another God alongside of God the Father, a different kind of God. Uh, Jesus gives an extended discourse on his relationship with the Father. And the essence of this discourse in, is that Jesus is equal to the Father, but not independent. Jesus is equal to the Father but not independent of the Father. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that the Son does nothing on his own accord, nothing by himself, nothing on his own initiative or from himself. He's always submissive to his Father's will. He only does what pleases the Father. In John 8:29, it says, "And he who sent me is with me; he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him." He can only do what he sees the Father doing. That means the relationship between the Father and the Son is not reciprocal. That is, the Father doesn't only do what he sees the Son doing. No, it's the son only does what he sees the father doing. The father initiates, the father sends, the father commands, the father commissions, the father grants authority, the son responds, the son obeys, the son performs his father's will, the son receives authority. Whatever the son sees the father doing, that's what he does. The, father, the son never acts in an independent Self-determined way, but instead submits himself always to what the Father is doing. Now, this is hard for us to be to grasp, but maybe we can grasp it by way of of contrast. To think of a relationship between a child and his his parents. You know, mom says uh, to the seven-year-old, uh, "Go make your bed," and the child says, "No." <laughs> the child has an independent mind, an ind- independent action and, and doesn't want to submit. Uh, the the uh, uh, 17-year-old says, uh, I don't want to go to uh, college after high school. I want to get a job. And mom and dad said, no, we, we want you to go to college. Well, you know, the, the teenager is exerting his, his independence. He, he's thinking for himself, thinking independently. Imagine if if there was a child who never reacted that way, who said, Whatever you want, Mom and Dad, that's what I want. Whatever you think, that's what I think. Whatever you do, that's what I do. Well, we don't have that in our human relationships. But that's what there is between God the Father and God the Son. The psalmist, speaking for Christ, says... You know, here I come in the fullness of the book. I delight to do your will. He delights to do whatever the Father does. Uh, At the uh, the last verse of John 14, he says, That the world may know that I love the Father, I do whatever he commands. So the world might know that I love him, I, I do what he commands. Because I love him, I do whatever he does. The son never has an independent thought contrary to what the father thinks, never has an independent action to, to what the father acts. You know, there there is a unity of mind, a unity of of word, a unity of deed that is beyond anything that we can fully comprehend or understand. We're we're getting sort of at the essence of what it means that there are Multiple persons in the Godhead, three persons in the Godhead, yet they are one in essence, because they think the same, they do the same, they speak the same, they always act in accord, the Son always is submitting to the Father, and the Spirit obeys the Father and the Son And uh, uh, the spirit doesn't bear witness to himself, but he bears witness to the son uh, and so forth. They're, They're always together and working together and doing the same thing. So extensive is the unity between the father and the son that works, which would otherwise be considered to be the prerogative of the father alone, are given to the son. The father is the one who gives life, but the father trusts the son and loves the son so much that he entrusts to the son the giving of life. You know, God, uh, he rescued Adam and Eve from the sentence of death and enabled Eve to become the mother of all living. God brought new life out of the the dead bodies of Abraham and Sarah when they were physically as, as good as dead with regard to bearing children. God rescued Isaac from death through the death of a substitute. God uh, rescued Joseph from a pit that was meant to be his grave and and gave him a new life from the grave, so to speak. And God took a rebellious people out of slavery in Egypt and and brought them into a a new life of blessing in the land of promise. And God rescued uh, Enoch from death. He rescued Elijah from death. God is a God who, who gives life. And now he says, I love the Son, and I entrust the giving of life to the Son. The Father is the, the ultimate authority, the, the judge of all, all the heavens and the earth. But he loves the Son so much that he entrusts all judgment to the Son, and the, and the Father doesn't judge anymore because he's, he's given that work to the Son to do. This is why Jesus is saying, you know, <laughs> I and the Father are one. The Jews weren't wrong when they inferred from Jesus' statement, My Father, that Jesus was making Himself equal with God. He was making Himself equal with the Father. He says we are united in everything. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus would say, you know, I have glorified you. Now glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the creation of the world. Who would say that? Except somebody who was equal with the Father from all eternity, who had now been made flesh and and dwelt among us. Jesus indeed puts himself alongside of God, but not a God independent of the Father, but dependent upon the Father and uh, united with Him in thought and in word and in deed. Uh, now, the question is, what do we do with this truth? Jesus in the Scriptures makes Himself equal with the Father. They are two persons, but they are one One in essence. They are united in everything. What do we do with that? Well, the end of verse 20, the last word of verse 20, gives us one thing that we can do. Marvel. Just stand in awe of this. This is is wonderful to see how great and glorious our God is. You know, sometimes we'll hear something and we'll say, you know, that's old news. I know that. I've heard that before. Nothing new here. Nothing to get excited about. The Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, the biblical teaching of the Trinity will never be old news. It will always be something that we can never dig into deep enough and say, Okay, now I've mastered it. Now I know it. And now uh, there's no more to discover. For all eternity, we will stand in awe of God and marvel at the wonder of three in one and one in three. And God is worthy of our worship for nothing else, if if for nothing else, than for this alone. Now, He's certainly worthy of worship for other things, for what He's done, but just for who He is, He is worthy of our worship. We stand in awe of Him. We stand and marvel at Him. That's one thing that we ought to do with this knowledge is is Humble ourselves before him and give him the worship and praise that it do such a great and glorious God. But then there's another thing that we ought to do, and that's suggested by the last verse of our text. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is saying that you have to give him the same honor that you give the Father. And we give the Father divine honor, therefore you need to give the Son divine honor. And if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. You can't have God the Father unless you have the Son, and you can't have the Father unless you give the Son the same honor you give to the Father. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because there are a lot of people in our world, including some who come to church and maybe listen to church on the radio or on the Internet, there are people who say... Jesus is a good man, but he's not God. He's a good teacher, but he's not God. He's, he's a, a great prophet, but he's not God. That's how the crowds viewed Jesus in Jesus' own day. They, they were delighted with Jesus because nobody ever taught like this man taught. And, and they, he performed miracles for them. He healed their sick, and he filled their stomachs. And they, de, they delighted in Jesus as, as the great prophet. But divine honor? They weren't ready to give that to him. And a lot of people are like that today. And, and perhaps you thought that also, that, that Jesus is a good example to follow. His teaching is wise, and we ought to follow his teaching, but uh, he's not divine. We don't have to give him divine honor. Well, note that Jesus says you need to give him divine honor. Now, if that's not true, what does that make Jesus? Well, let's take, for example, a good teacher. I think most of you are familiar with the late Dr. R.C. Sproul and would have no trouble saying that he is a good teacher, a good teacher of the Reformed faith. But let's suppose for a minute, this did, did not happen, but let's suppose that Dr. Sproul said in his lifetime, I am divine. I share in the divine nature and you should worship me. Well if if Dr Sproul had said that you would not say he's a good teacher you would say he's a liar or he's a lunatic either he is per, uh, perpetrating a scam on us to try to get all our money and and make uh, himself bigger than he ought to be he's a, he's a charlatan and a, or he's he's delusional he's crazy pharaoh of egypt in Moses' day, thought he was divine, and God gave him his comeuppance and brought him down and and, uh, and and destroyed him. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was divine, and God humbled him. And when Nebuchadnezzar says, "I came to my senses, when my sanity was restored, I recognized that God is God, and I'm not." And he gave God beautiful praise. But for a time he was crazy, he was delusional, he thought he was God. Well, any human being who says, I am equal with the Father, and it's not true, that person is crazy, or he's trying to perpetrate a scam against you, you wouldn't call that person a good teacher. The only person who can get away with saying, I'm divine, is one for whom it is true. You can't have Jesus and deny His divinity, and you can't have God the Father and deny Jesus His divinity. They they come as a package. Either He is what He says He is, or He's nothing at all. You need to honor Jesus as you honor the Father and receive Him as your God, your Savior, and your Lord. When Thomas saw the resurrected Christ... He humbled himself and said to Jesus, "My Lord and my God." And Jesus didn't say, "Oh, don't call me God." <laughs> Rather, he said a little earlier, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are so one in essence that in Jesus the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, and He is the exact uh, imprint." Of uh, God's glory and nature, the author of Hebrews says. And so we need to marvel at the Trinity. We need to believe in Jesus as a divine person and our God worthy of our worship and the one who saves us by his actions. But then there's one other thing that we can do with this truth. And uh, let me state it in the words of uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller says, uh, reads this passage and uh, concludes that one thing we need to learn is that the way up is the way down. The way up is the way down. Now, that sounds a little strange. What, What does Tim Keller mean when he says the way up is the way down? Well, Jesus says it a lot clearer, I think, when he says that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know you want to be lifted up into the presence of God, you want to go to heaven when you die, you want to go up? Well, the way up is the way down. You have to humble yourself. He points to Jesus, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is one with the Father. but what does Jesus do? He humbles himself and he takes the form of a servant, and when he takes the form of the servant, how does the Father respond to that? It says in Philippians 2, verse 9 and 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Jesus humbled himself, and God exalts him. Now, Jesus humbled himself in order to accomplish our salvation. Uh, The way... Up is the way down. The way way for Jesus to get our salvation is for him to lower himself, to humble himself, to take the form of a servant, even to die on the cross for us. That's how he accomplishes the great and high goal of salvation. And in order for you to obtain salvation, the way for you up is the way down. In order for you to obtain the high goal of salvation, you have to humble yourself you have to, whether physically or, or metaphorically, get down on your knees. We sang, you know, raise us up from our knees. Well, we have to get down on our knees and, and humble ourselves and confess. Anyone who confesses their sin, God is faithful and just to forgive them their sins. But if we say we have no sins, if we lift ourselves up, if we exalt ourselves, he'll knock us down. But if you want him to lift you up, you have to humble yourself, confess your sin, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you humbly put yourself down, then he will lift you up. It's how he obtained our salvation. It's how you obtain your salvation. And it's also how you have success in this life from day to day. If you want to have a good life. The way up is the way down. You know that passage in Philippians 2 that is introduced uh, that uh, says that God has highly exalted him, that, that Christ humbled himself and therefore God highly exalted himself. Paul introduces that passage by saying, Have this mind in you and consider others better than yourself. Your whole life you ought to be putting others ahead of yourself. You know, you can claw your way to the top of the pile, so to speak, and stomp on everybody uh, on the way up, using people and abusing people for your own selfish ends. You can try to get on the top of the pile that way in this life, serving self and putting self first in all things. But it won't be a happy life. You won't enjoy the process and you won't enjoy the fruits and you'll spend eternity in hell paying for it. But if throughout your life you consider others better than yourself, and do unto others what you would have them do unto you, and say, I'm here not to serve myself, I'm here to serve God by serving the needs of those people who are around me, whether it's in business, in in family life, in church life, wherever God has put you, in every place that God has put you. The way up is the way down. To live no longer for self, but to live for Him who gave Himself for you. The way up is the way down. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ that he is submissive in all things to your will, that he uh, uh, thinks your thoughts, speaks your words, does your deeds, that uh, he does that to show his love for you. And we pray that we also in, in our lives may... Recognize that if we are to obtain salvation, we are to humble ourselves, also, confess our sins and, and submit to, to christ's will for our lives, and that uh, throughout our lives we ought to be demonstrating the gospel by considering others, considering others better than ourselves. The oh Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray, in Jesus name. Amen. Let us join together and respond to God's Word by singing the praises of our Savior Jesus Christ. We'll sing number 291. We'll sing all seven stanzas of number 291 a thousand tongues to sing.